Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner, and you're listening to The Mark Steiner Show right here on WEAA 88.9 FM, home of the Big 4-0 Birthday Bash, taking place Saturday, January the 28th. More information at weaa.org. And today is the first day of the 2017 Maryland Legislative Session, which means it's time for the Annapolis Summit, our 14th annual Annapolis Summit, taking place at the Calvert House in Annapolis for the next two hours. In the next hour, we'll be talking with Senate President Mike Miller and House Speaker Michael Bush. But first, we're joined by Governor Larry Hogan. And I'll wait to that conversation with Governor Larry Hogan with our live audience here at the Annapolis Summit in the Calvert House. I want to remind you that the Annapolis Summit is sponsored by Stevenson University, the Johns Hopkins Center for a Livable Future, the Maryland State Education Association, Alexander and Cleaver, and VPC Incorporated. Our broadcast media partner is WEAA. So we're about to begin. So once again, I want to welcome you all to the 14th Annual Annapolis Summit, which we have been doing since Governor Ehrlich was governor here in the state of Maryland and through O'Malley, and now Governor Larry Hogan in his third year as governor. Uh, and the Daily Record and the Mark Steiner Show at WEA welcome you all to our 14th Annual Annapolis Summit. Governor, welcome. Good to have you with us. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be with you. Uh, I'll start out with a little correction, though. What did I do? I haven't even hit the, uh, the, the two-year point yet. Yeah, this is the third year. This, I, January 21 will be two years. Okay, fine. So everybody seems to think I've been here a long time. It feels like maybe you've Sometimes been here forever. Sometimes it feels like 10 years I've been here, but <laughs> I haven't even hit the halftime yet. So, t- <laughs> let, let me, <laughs> so let's tell me a little bit about, let's just talk a little bit about what happened yesterday and the announcement you made yesterday about school debt, uh-huh. student debt. Well, student debt uh, is uh, one of the real issues that's facing not only Maryland, but people all across the country. There's now a trillion dollars of student debt. Uh, people are coming out of uh, college with, in Maryland, an average of $27,000 in debt. And uh, so our, we, we, this is our third proposal to, to do something to try to chip away at the problem of student debt. Uh, and this most recent one will allow for just about everybody in Maryland, except for very high incomes, uh, to uh, fully deduct 100% of their interest on their student loans from their Maryland tax returns. It, it'll save... Uh, Young Marylanders primarily. I guess there are some folks that are older that are carrying student debt, but uh, save uh, about $20 million a year for folks that, uh, that have student debt. So just, uh, this will not be an issue in the legislature. Just very quickly before we get into the really hard issues of the budget which you're going to be facing uh-huh. and this transportation brouhaha that, that, that is taking place in Annapolis. Sure. Um, it, it looks as if Governor Cuomo in New York is going to um, announce their push to have uh, tuition-free public institutions, especially for community colleges. I mean, how do you, does that play in Maryland for you? Well, you know, it's certainly something, if we had the uh, financial capability, it's something to explore. I mean, obviously, we have a pretty tight budget this time, and uh, we've got a lot of mandated spending on other things, and we're currently uh, forced to spend more money than we take in, which doesn't work. Uh, but I've said once we get our economy even more on track, once we dig out from some of this debt that we uh, – we have in the Maryland, so it's certainly worth taking a look at. So let's, let's get right down to it then. So we, clearly, when everybody left last April, nobody expected a budget shortfall coming through. But now we're well, we it. sort of predicted it, but uh, I think the legislature didn't talk much about it. That's why we uh, focused. And when we came in, um, we inherited a $5.1 billion structural deficit, which was out of control. Very first budget, <clears throat> which we put together the day after I was sworn in as governor, uh, uh, first real balanced budget in a decade, uh, we eliminated 90% of that $5.1 billion deficit. Uh, and uh, last year, we had a budget that was uh, tried to provide for 
uh, every one of our priorities, fully funded all the mandates, increased education spending, and most other things, and grew by 3%. Um, uh, but we had a $400 million surplus, cash surplus, and we put $1 billion into the rainy day fund. Thank God we did that, and when we did it at the time, we said, we don't know when the revenues are going to drop. We want to be prepared for that moment. Uh, had we not, we'd be in really terrible shape right now. But the, uh, the proactive steps we took in our first two budgets put us in a better situation now for this year than we would have been. So how do you move ahead to face this? I mean, are there, are there, are there specific ways that you intend to want to see the legislature curtail mandate spending? Specific mandate spending? I mean, well, first of all, we're going to submit a budget uh, next week, and uh, you'll be able to see how we've decided to handle that. And then the legislature will have, I guess, after today, another 89 days to debate about that budget. Um, but uh, we came up with a proposal last year that said we have to take a look at um, it, everybody in the room here. If you were forced every year to spend more money than you take in, after a certain number of years, it would start to cause a problem. And that's kind of what's happened here in Maryland. Last year, we had, um, we proposed, uh, we had a 3% uh, uh, growth in budget. We had 3% revenue growth. Would have been balanced. Uh, but there was 5% mandated increases in spending. So it went up higher. Um, 83 cents of every dollar that the state spends now. You know, we came in and said, we have to get control of this out-of-control deficit, $5.1 billion. How do you dig out from it? And there's a dollar bill, a great chart that shows... 83 cents of it, we can't touch, it's mandated. 17 cents is what we have to balance. It's hard to come up with $5.1 billion and dig out of a hole that you've been in for decades uh, by just using that 17 cents. So we have to have the flexibility in times when revenues come down. And basically, it's a, it, our proposal was just to say, in times when revenues are not there, um, we have to have the flexibility to not raise spending more than uh, the uh, income is. But you can cut inside those mandates. I mean, do you think that's where we have to go? Uh, we haven't. I mean, last year we provided uh, fully funded all the mandates. Uh, every year the legislature has, um, under the O'Malley administration, I think they did it every year, um, you know, they have this thing that they call BRFA, Budget Reconciliation Financing Act, where they say, here's our, we've, we're mandating ourselves to spend this money, uh, but we're not going to do it. So we play this shell game and move it all over the place. Well, uh, we didn't do that last year. This year, with the legislature, probably is going to have to be some budget reconciliation, and we'll spend the next 89 days, I guess, debating about how to do that. So we have to wait till next week to find out exactly what you're going to tell us. Uh, well, you know, if I broke the story <laughs> for you today, it would kind of no one would show up for the press conference next week. Just a little teeny piece. <laughs> um, so uh, one of the things I think that baffles folks, and we can turn to the audience, let you jump in and out of these questions. A lot of people there. Um, so we have a great crowd this morning. Thank you all we do. for coming out. Yes, we do. So um, many people, I think, in the public are baffled by this battle between you and the legislature, especially you and Senator Miller. And uh, I'm baffled by it <laughs> around transportation issues. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and so, can we just talk about that just for a minute? Then we'll open this to the audience here yeah. to join us. I mean, it seems that. Um, when you look at it, I mean, I tried to read the law that was passed the other night. It's not an easy law to quite understand. but no, it's one of the most poorly written bills I've ever seen, actually. But it does give you um, the, 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 the right to, um, it, says, it says in the Act, nothing in this Act may be construed to prohibit or prevent funding of the capital priorities in each jurisdiction. That you still have control. Well, So what, what is so it, where, where's, where's the battle the, as you see it? 
Well, that, that's one sentence out of a long bill that says dozens of times, you shall, you must, this has to be done, these are the criteria, you have to rank them according to these things. And then because of my multiple conversations with the uh, Senate president and the speaker and the drafters of the bill, um, they stuck a sentence in to try to moderate the terrible bill that they came up with, but it didn't really accomplish it because the bill still requires all these other things. Um, their argument is that we could somehow um, justify ignoring all of their um, scoring requirements and maybe get convinced them to do a road. But this, according to the, the bill the way it's currently written, um, it, we, will, we can't fund 66 out of our top 73 priority road projects. And they're not just our priorities. They're the priorities of every single jurisdiction in Maryland. Um, so we, wanna, we can't have a bill that says you have to do this, you must do that, and then say, but you can ignore it if you want to, if you provide justification, but don't explain how to provide that justification. It's a terrible bill. Um, we've been talking about this for over a year. When uh, Governor O'Malley, in one of his last State of the State addresses, said, Maryland has crumbling roads and bridges and the worst <laughs> traffic congestion in the nation. Um, I agree with that, although we were second worst traffic in the nation when he left, not first. Um, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But we did have crumbling roads and bridges because they had failed to invest in transportation infrastructure for eight years. The legislature, in their infinite wisdom, had robbed a billion dollars out of the Transportation Trust Fund uh, to pay for other things totally unrelated to transportation. I promised that if I was elected, we were going to focus on improving uh, transportation infrastructure in the state. We've been doing exactly what we said we would do. We inherited 65 structurally deficient bridges in Maryland. Where we, our proposal is to repair every single one of them. Um, there are 73 of the highest priority projects in every single one of our, <clears throat> excuse me, 24 jurisdictions that we are trying to move forward on. And uh, I don't know why the legislature came up with this proposal to stop most of them. You hear a different story every day. Um, first, it was, we don't want to uh, put money in the rural areas, we want to put it in the urban areas. But, in fact, more than 60% of our uh, proposed transportation improvements were in the so-called urban areas. And they said, Hogan only wants, wants to help the counties that voted for him. Well, 21 out of 23 counties voted for me, but 60% of the money goes to the three who didn't. This is not true. Um, they say, we're going to help the areas where they have uh, congestion. Uh, well, actually... Uh, the most important road projects in Prince George's County are all killed by this bill. Our improvements to I-270, the most traveled road in the state, are, are killed as a result of this bill. How are they killed by Because we cannot fund them under the criteria that they've given us in this bill that we have to study and rank the projects by. They will not rank. They do not make. Transportation has spent the past year ranking according to this law, and 66 of the projects under their law are recommended not to be funded. Their bill recommends none of these to be funded. Um, now, we're fighting against that because we've put uh, unprecedented amounts of money into transportation because we don't want people sitting in gridlock because we have neglected this infrastructure for too long. And we're fixing almost all of the top priorities in every single jurisdiction. Um, Prince George's County, under their bill, the roads that don't rank are like Route 210 uh, in southern Prince George's County, one of their worst wet roads. All, almost all of their top priorities. Every single road improvement in Baltimore County is eliminated according to their scoring. The most important ones in, in Arundel County. No projects in Baltimore City will be funded, although we had them. Um, and Montgomery County, who I think gets the most funding, does not get their top priorities. They get things that they weren't as interested in. 
So you see this if the, the bill has to be repealed, uh, if it does not, 66 of the 73 projects that are most important to almost everyone in Maryland are not going to be funded or they're going to be tied up in court for years to argue about what this crazy bill does that some lobbyist wrote in the middle of the night. No one will admit to who wrote the bill. They did it, uh, you know, kind of in, in the smoke-filled rooms of politics in the dark of the night. And uh, well, the they, they, they know that they made a mistake. The bill was supposed to take effect July 1 of last year. And um, then they came and said, even though the law says that, we really intended it to wait another year. Well, now we're up against the next year, and we still have the problem bill. So, so there the, are the a lot of questions I have about that. The, but the, the regulations, but, but, by the way, but, that, that will uh, require us to do this ranking for the CTP take effect February 10th. So if we don't take immediate action on this bill, the, the, the draft CTP is going to include none of those 66 projects, and people are really going to be upset with the legislature. Of course, the Senate president and the speaker would say that that bill has does not do that at all. I mean, that would be the well, I mean, right. Uh, every all, every single uh, just about every uh, county in the state would disagree, and almost all the people in Maryland would disagree. I mean, I know they say it's not too bad, but why don't we just get rid of it? I heard doesn't do anything. So, so it's let, purely let me... advisory. It, it doesn't have any impact. Okay, well, why did they fight so hard to pass it? Why was it done in the middle of the session instead of at the end of the session with the rest of the bills? Why do they fight so hard to override my veto of it when we told them how terrible it was? And why are they still arguing about it if it does we, nothing? We'll find out in the next hour. <laughs> but let, let me go here to the audience, I promise. A little later than expected. First with Brian Sears from our partner, The Daily Record. Brian? <clears throat> Good morning, Governor. Good morning, Brian. Um, during your first two years in office, you, you've portrayed yourself as, as, a, uh, bi- as being wanting to work bipartisan. Uh, legislative leaders, including uh, Speaker Mike Bush, <coughs> portray that more as a myth than fact and point to your staff asking uh, Senator Tom uh, Mac Middleton to leave your, your announcement of funding for the, uh, for the nice bridge. Uh, I wanted to ask, how do you respond to legislative claims that that's more myth than fact, and what would you say is your biggest bipartisan? partisan accomplishment in your first two years in office? Well, first of all, um, I, don't, I don't think it is more myth than fact. I, you know, I got to this office by uh, building and growing from, from nothing, uh, the largest nonpartisan <clears throat> grassroots organization in state history called Change Maryland. I was elected with more Democratic and independent votes than Republican. I, when putting my administration together, we brought in Democrats independents and Republicans, something that never happens here in Maryland. I think half of my cabinet or more than half of my cabinet are Democrats. Democrats and independents are on my staff. Every, my, uh, my original uh, speech at, the, at my inauguration talked about reaching across the aisle every single state of the state. Every day I say, I don't care which side of the aisle the ideas come from. Uh, I want to work on common sense bipartisan solutions. You'll, you, you can go back for two years and almost find no reference of me uh, criticizing, attacking Democrats, or talking about partisan politics. I always talk about doing what's right for the people of Maryland. Um, the uh, Probably the, the best bipartisan uh, accomplishment, well, we had a couple of them, but uh, probably the best one last year was the Justice Reinvestment Act, which we worked together, Democrats on both sides of the aisle in both houses. It was difficult to get done. Brought the people from all over the spectrum and came together with a, an agreement on the greatest uh, uh, criminal justice uh, changes in our state in history, probably. Uh, we also uh, accomplished what has been called the, the greatest um, imp- uh, uh, environmental improvement to protect the bay in a generation with uh, PMT. Um, you know, Mally talked about it for eight years, but never got it done. We got it done in our first six weeks by working together and bringing together environmental groups with other stakeholders and farmers and the poultry industry 
uh, and the local communities, and we got agreement and got it done. So I think the record will show uh, that everything I've done since being governor has been in a bipartisan uh, fashion. Um, I, uh, I don't care uh, about Republican-Democrat stuff. That's kind of obvious. I didn't support the Republican nominee for president. I think you remember that. Um, I, I, I pretty much go where I think what makes sense. Um, last year, for example, um, we wanted to come up with a, uh, I proposed a tax credit for people who make voluntary donations to the public schools or the private schools that get a tax break. Uh, the teachers union didn't like that bill and killed it. Mike Bush and the Democrats came up with a different idea. Uh, and by the way, that was a Democratic idea, by the way, that Ed, Senator Ed DeGrange, a Democrat, was pushing for 10 years. We, we helped push that. Uh, instead, Mike Bush and the Democrats in the legislature came up with a totally different idea, which was uh, this boost program with $5 million in scholarships uh, for poor kids to be able to go to better schools. And uh, it was a Democratic idea from their side of the aisle. Um, I didn't think it was as good as our bill, but actually, it's worked very well. Um, I, I want to give the Speaker and the Democrats credit for it, and I have. I like it so much, I want to double it this year because thousands of kids didn't get help. Uh, and now they're saying Hogan wants to uh, take money from the, from the public schools and give it to, to uh, um, private schools. It was their bill. <laughs> you know, the, the Democratic Party's attacking me on something that they wrote and passed, and I'm giving them credit and thanking them for their efforts. Thank you. Next question. Uh, good morning, Governor Hogan. My name is Cheryl Bost, and I'm a teacher in Baltimore County. I'm here with our MSCA president, who's also a teacher from Kent County. We are that teachers union that you referred to. Um, as we all Thank know, you for coming. Sure. As we all know, the Kerwin Commission is working to address the unmet funding needs in our public <clears throat> schools. We have many with increased poverty and mental health issues. Even with the limitations in our current funding formula, will you fully fund public education according to current formulas, including the full inflationary factor this year? And do you plan to use the BRFA or any other maneuvers to cut or limit out your K-12 funding? Well, that's a long and complicated question. And as I said, we're going to come out with our budget next, uh, <coughs> next week. And this is all going to be debated between the legislature for the next 89 days. But uh, the fact is, the first two years, I have uh, provided record funding for education. No governor in the history of the state has ever spent more on public education. Um, I'll, 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 I'll uh, kind of uh, give you an advance uh, warning and, and uh, pref a little preview of next week's budget and say we're going to do it for the third year in a row. We're going to increase funding for education, uh, provide record funding in spite of a very difficult budget year. Anything about the out years? What's that? Anything the out years. to cur curb the that's, out years? That's all going to be debated over the next, uh, you know, 89 days or the next two years probably. Thank you. Another question. I'm going to jump a question on myself. But go ahead, sir. Uh, hi, Governor. Uh, hi, Mark. Um, my name is Gary Nelson. I'm a 26-year Baltimore City firefighter. Thank and you for your service. Thank you, sir. I uh, wanted to simply ask about uh, education. Uh, I understand that there's a $129 million shortfall. And uh, just put a bumper sticker on my truck a short time ago. You know about Baltimore uh, City education? Excuse me? Baltimore ba City, Baltimore City, City Public School. Right, right, yeah. Right. And I, I recently put a bumper sticker on my truck that said, ignorance is the uh, worst form of violence uh, in society. And so uh, it obviously behooves us to uh, fund public yeah. education. I agree completely. And I'm reminded of Jonathan Kozol. I encourage anybody in here to read any of his books. And I just wanted your comments 
on that, how we could rectify this so-called $129 million shortfall. Well, thank you very much. Um, I agree with you completely. Um, education is and has been and will continue to be our number one priority. Baltimore City um, has a dramatic declining uh, enrollment. You know, we've lost about 600,000 people out of the city. We have less kids in the schools, but the budget, uh, the spending on, on schools in Baltimore City from the state continues to uh, skyrocket. In fact, I think it's uh, 17000 uh, per year per student that we spend on kids in the Baltimore City school system. It's about uh, twice, maybe uh, somewhere between twice and three times what we spend on education for kids in the rest of the state on average. Um, the average, and this is a, <coughs> the local governments get together with the state government to try to provide this funding. The average uh, jurisdiction spends a little over 50% of their total budget, county jurisdiction, local jurisdiction, 50% of their total budget on education. Uh, Prince George's County does even more. I think they're the highest percentage. They spend about 60% of their whole budget on education. Uh, Baltimore City spends 11% of their budget on education. The state kicks in two or three times what we do in any other jurisdiction. Um, I had about an hour-long meeting with the new mayor uh, just a few days ago. We talked about a whole host of issues. Uh, she's uh, somewhat disgusted with the operations of the school system in Baltimore City and I think has proposed having the city take it over uh, because of some of the waste and uh, some of the major problems that they've had in Baltimore City. And I promise to work very closely with her to find out what we can do uh, to uh, improve the schools in Baltimore City because they get the most money, they get the most attention, and uh, they've got the most problems. And uh, we've got to work together to try to figure it out. Will the state be part of – would you propose the state be part of having to take help with the deficit? I mean, the Baltimore City we, we already are. I mean, you know, we put billions of dollars into Baltimore City, and a lot of that is in education. And Again, I just said we put two or three times more there than we do in any other But, I mean, given the present crisis that they're facing and all it's, the, and the it's other It's an ongoing crisis that happens every year, and every year we try to help with it, and we will be putting more money there this year. So we only have a few minutes left with the governor, so um, let me let you get in here. Good morning. My name is Carolyn Rico, and thank you. I work with the Food System Policy Program at the Johns Hopkins Center for Livable Future. At the which program? I'm sorry. The Food System Policy Program at the Johns Hopkins Center for Livable Future. A recent poll conducted by Greenberg Quinlan Rosner for the Center for, for a Livable Future found that 89% of voters across the state, thank you, and 84% of voters on the Eastern Shore support changes to poultry contracting, including requiring that contracts are easily readable and transparent, ensuring that local growers can discuss contracts and working conditions without retaliation, and ending tournament pricing systems. Given this broad support for these proposals, do you anticipate seeing legislation introduced this year dealing with poultry contracting reform? You know, to tell you the truth, I really couldn't hear what, exactly what you were talking about. I'm sorry, but I know you're talking about the Eastern Shore and some kind of contracting, but uh, you, uh, sure. you got to put the microphone yeah. a little closer to your mouth. Close, but just kind of make it more succinct if you could. Sure. Um, a recent poll of Maryland voters in Eastern Shore. I heard about the poll, but I didn't Resident. know what the issue was. Sure. It's about poultry contracting. Poultry contracting. Right. And um, reforms to ensure that contracts are easily readable and transparent, that um, growers can discuss their contracts without fear of retaliation, and that the tournament pricing system is ended. And given this broad support, do you anticipate seeing reforms? These, these, are, these are contracts that come from the, from the poultry industry to the farmers. Right. Integrators and the farmers. Right. Um, you know, I, we, I would certainly uh, love to sit down. You know, I've uh, been uh, – agriculture is our, our most, one of our most important industries in Maryland. Um, we've, got, we've had the support of every single Farm Bureau and every single jurisdiction in Maryland. We've spent a ton of time with uh, farmers. 
on Eastern Shore trying to help them. And uh, I'd love to sit down with you and uh, to get as much input as possible. You know, we, I, we, we can't interfere with a contract between a company and a farmer, but if there are some things that we can do to take a look at making them more transparent and, uh, and more uh, uh, easy for people to understand, we'll certainly take a look at that. Thank you. No, man, you're next. And then uh, one final thought for the governor. Let the governor go. Sure. Uh, good morning. My name is Mark Monroe. I'm a ninth grade student at Bard uh, High School Early College. Um, hi, I'm Annie Lester, and I'm also a student at Bard High School Early College. Thank um, you both for coming. Yeah. Thank you. Actually, I wanted to thank you for your support. And um, I wanted to ask, what do you think uh, about the importance of early college high school and or alternative high school in general? Well, uh, thank you very much for that, for coming today and for being involved enough to care to come down to Annapolis. Um, you know, you're just both participating in the BARD program, which is one of the things that we've done uh, to try to get people involved in early college education in high school. Are you finding it to be a valuable program for? Yeah, it's a, it's a great so program. It was the first thing we did was uh, BARD. The second thing we did was PTEC, um, and last year um, we we started the, we opened the very first two PTEC schools in Baltimore, which is going to get kids the opportunity to get their high school diploma, their college, their two year AA degree and real workplace experience all at the same time and learn valuable skills so they can get jobs. They get the promise the first in line for jobs, these uh, high-tech jobs of the 21st century. I believe that every single uh, child in Maryland deserves access to a world-class education, regardless of what neighborhood they happen to grow up in. And in addition to record investments in public education, we're also trying to come up with outside-the-box thinking, uh, like we have with the schools that you're taking advantage of, and like we've done with PTEC. And we started with six schools. I can tell you, I went to the opening, and parents and kids were crying. They were so happy about the opportunity to finally get a chance, and they finally saw hope for the first time that they were going to be able to get out of the circumstances they were in. Um, we're going to uh, another. I'll, I'll, I'll break some new, other new information ahead of schedule. My press team's going to be mad at me, but we're going to uh, put money in the budget to double that. We're going to we're going to add another six P-Tech schools. We're going to continue to focus on programs like Bard, and we're going to continue to. Uh, support uh, good charter schools that do a good job at alternative education. If the public school in that neighborhood is failing those kids, uh, they should have an opportunity to, uh, to uh, have some options. And if the kids want to work hard and try to move forward on their college education while they're in high school, we ought to try to help do everything we can. It even goes back to that college debt thing that we started our discussion with. If you get your stuff while you're in high school, you're not going to be burdened with all this college debt when you get out and you get to go out and start a, start a job and have uh, financial security a little sooner in life. So thank you very much for participating and coming today. Governor, you. on your way out, I know you have to leave here in a few minutes, so um, let me just, this is this final thought. This is going to be a very, as it's going to be, looks like going to be a very tough session. I mean, the, the, the quote that uh, one of the papers had with the clauser coming out, and this isn't going to be pretty, says the Senate Minority Leader, uh, uh, Senator Jennings from Baltimore County. So so the question I have is the, this very specifically, how do you plan to get things done? One of the things that seems that there's a real distance between you and uh, Speaker Bush, they, that your office doesn't, you don't talk to him, you don't call him and have discussions. They're saying that, you know, like Governor Ehrlich, also a Republican, made those efforts. Yeah. So um, how do you begin to Well, none of what you just that? said is remotely true. Okay, um, I have no intention of coming out with any clause. I've said over and over again. But these aren't your clause. You say uh, the entire uh, session. I, I believe there are clauses coming out. <laughs> I just don't think they're coming from me. Okay. Uh, I'm going to try to continue to work in a bipartisan fashion with people, regardless of their party affiliation. I um, have an excellent relationship with Speaker Bush, in spite of the 
the kind of crazy comments that were made in the paper the other day. We just had a uh, great discussion on Friday. I talked about inviting him over to the house again for another lunch or dinner. I read somewhere that he says he's never even seen the inside of the house. He's been there at least six times. We've invited him another 12 times. We've met with them repeatedly. Um, maybe he forgot. I'm not sure. Uh, but we're, we, we, uh, we reach out constantly to our legislative leaders. Um, almost all the things we're proposing are bipartisan, common sense ideas. I got criticized yesterday by Speaker Bush who said, these are Democratic ideas he's coming up with. He's just stealing our ideas. Well, that's what I said I was going to do. I said I didn't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. We're going to, it doesn't care which side of the aisle the ideas come from. I'm taking things that they already support and saying this is how we can make it better. And there would be no reason for any clause. Look, I'm focused. Oh, there's all this talk about we're going to tie Hogan to Washington and to uh, Trump, and we're going to try to hurt him politically, and it's all about 2018's election. That's two years from now is the next election. How about I'm going to focus on 2017? and doing things for all of the people of Maryland um, in a bipartisan way, and I'm not going to play the politics, and I'm not going to focus on 2018 or Democrat versus Republican. So you won't see any clause from me. If you see them come out, you know, let me know. I'll be watching out for them. <laughs> Helga, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> thank you very much. Good to see you, thank you. You're listening to the Annapolis Summit right here on The Mark Steiner Show on WEAA 88.9 FM, home of the Big 4-0 Birthday Bash, taking place Saturday, January 28th. More information at WEAA.org. We have to take a short break, but stay with us. When we come back, we'll be speaking with Senate President Mike Miller and House Speaker Michael Bush. On a way to break, I want to remind you the Mark Steiner Show is brought to you in part by MeQ, Baltimore's Credit Union, offering a full range of financial services. MeQ, Baltimore's Credit Union, is helping its members and its community prosper. When you invest in yourself, Meek, you invest in you. More information at www.mecu.com. We'll be right back with more of the Annapolis Summit. Stay with us. <laughs> 